This episode of the Media Leader podcast was edited by our production partner, Trisonic. For a full range of audio media buying and creative services, including podcast production, check out trisonic.co.uk. Yes, absolutely. 20% is our plan. And I think if we were to sort of put out an ambition that we have, then we do want in the long term for the ad sales to reach 10 billion. So a real sizable revenue contribution to the overall business. Hello and welcome to the Media Leader Podcast. I'm Ella Sagar and today I'm delighted to be joined by Ed Couchman, Spotify's Head of Sales for the UK and Northern Europe. Ed, thanks for joining me. A great pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So today we're going to talk about a few different things. Uh, First off, a piece you wrote for us about kindness and leadership, which I'm excited to get into as part of our Career Leaders newsletter. If you've not read that, please go and check that out on our website. And we're also going to get into the nitty gritty with some more audio focused news from Spotify's latest earnings and uh, advertising targets to also its podcast and audiobook strategy. So a lot to get through. So first off, Ed, before we get into discussing all of that, I wanted to chat a bit about your media history because you've worked at Channel 4, uh, Facebook or Meta as it is now known, and Snap before coming to Spotify. What first got you interested in media? How would you kind of, what did you learn from each of those places? Uh, Great question. I I think firstly, I should probably just confess that I did actually stumble into media by chance, but thank God I did because it's been a great career for me and I've really enjoyed my time in media. Originally, I was in investment banking, actually, mm-hmm. at the sort of height of uh, late 90s, early 2000s, and it just was not a place for me. Mm-hmm. And I realised that I didn't fit in, I looked differently, I thought differently, and it was kind of a force that I wanted to leave investment banking and kind of stumbled into media. And as I said, I'm very grateful I did because it's been a very rich and rewarding career for me that I've really enjoyed. And I also feel kind of unlocked all of my potential. I lived through or worked through some of the sort of dot-com revolution years to the sort of move from desktop to mobile and being what I think at the sort of heart of the change of the media industry over the sort of 25 years I've been working in media. That sounds an incredibly long time, doesn't it? Uh, I think, you know what, at its heart though, many of the sort of core principles or things are the same. I think it still has great people and great ideas at its heart. And those two two things combine to produce great work for clients, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then I think the huge thing that's changed, that no surprise to this, is technology mm-hmm. and how technology uh, kind of makes the work better and makes the people better as well as an enhancement tool. But that really, I think, is the largest single characteristic that's changed in media over my 25 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just so fascinating to see the different kind of waves that there have been and how that's impacted. And I suppose people coming in at all those different waves might not have known any different of how they've always worked this way. And so, but I think maybe something that should be a constant, which you were writing about, was that kindness in leadership and also in teamwork. And in your piece that you were saying, kindness at work is never a weakness. And I think when we've met before and we've talked about it and how it can be seen as a bit oh he's, he's the nicest man in media and, and and it can be seen as a bit of a uh not uh not maybe the best thing to ascribe to someone um which is such a shame but I just wanted to know a bit more about what you, in your piece what you were saying about kindness in leadership and why in media and advertising in particular why that's so important mm. and maybe why it's been maligned a little bit I think first if I just took a step back and just shared since the article was published, and I sort of shared it on some of my social channels, I've actually been really overwhelmed by the amount of people 
friends, colleagues, peers, old colleagues, present colleagues that have got in touch with me actually in such a positive way as well. Sort of thanking me for acknowledging the role of kindness, the importance of kindness. And it's actually been pretty overwhelming. Mm -hmm. One of the key things that I think is worth noting though, is that about 90% of those people that either liked, commented, shared or DM me were actually women. Oh, okay. Which isn't that fascinating Mm -hmm. that actually only 10% were men and how maybe that kindness narrative can almost play into the more sort of stereotypical empathetic nature. Um, and I, that's really struck a chord with me, actually. But if I just sort of, that's the first thing I want to call out, just how much a sort of key topic this is and how it really resonated with many of the readers, listeners and, and you know, some of my social channels, firstly. Then I think to maybe address the question that it, I think it is a bit malign. Like I certainly felt in my earlier part of my career that kindness was seen as a bit of a, a weakness. And then as I've sort of matured and seen value in that, I think there's some sort of key things about being genuine or about being empathetic and understanding where people are coming from that actually make it into a superpower is my genuine belief around kindness and just how important it is. And if I sort of looked at the industry today, then I think that kindness has never been more needed in that industry. So if we looked at the Advertising Association's all-in census, and I know the media leader covered this, around around a third of respondents felt sort of stress or anxiety. I think about 14% of those respondents attributed that to work, essentially. And then I also do some work myself with fundraising for NABs. Mm -hmm. And NABs tell me that they've had a pretty much a surge in requirements for their services. I think it's about 66% over the last two or three years. So all of that adds up to tell me that there's an industry that really needs some sort of support and help. And I think kindness in leaders can really help play a pivotal role to help people feel a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. And this feeling a sense of belonging, I think, goes hand in hand with diversity and inclusion, like building teams that where everyone feels they have a place, that everyone feels they have a voice and feels safe and trusted and has a close friend at work. Because I think a role as a leader for us is to bring people together, to galvanise them and and make them bigger than the sum of their individual parts to achieve the business goals, essentially. And I think kindness has a key role to play in that. Mm, And it is business critical. I really like that line in your piece because I think a lot of people see it as a quote-unquote soft skill and actually it shouldn't maybe be seen that way and that it should be seen as a kind of a key business driver of kind of keeping teams together and motivating and I think in I run the fishbowl interview series and you've been part of that and um, one of the things that a lot of the skills that the sales leaders are saying that you need is empathy because you can pitch and pitch and pitch as much as you want but if you're not listening to what someone's saying and really kind of putting yourself in their shoes you're not going to sell anything. Yeah, I think this is misunderstanding that kindness is some sort of weakness that you might avoid making difficult decisions. And it's anything but that. One of the most simple expressions I shared with me about trying to bring how to be kind in workplace life was that sort of common situation that we've all faced where you're out to lunch with a friend, partner, family member, and they have a herb on their teeth or something stuck to their teeth. <laughs> and actually, you go, oh, but it's actually kind of kind of like, hey, you've got something on your teeth. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's not an easy conversation to have. Everyone feels a bit, oh, it's a bit awkward. But it brings to life that actually confronting things, being respectful of that person, and actually having the harder conversation, the difficult conversation, actually leads to a better 
outcome or output, essentially. And I think that's at the heart of it. Not shying away from difficult decisions or mm-hmm. difficult conversations, but it's kinder to have those in a respectful, transparent way. So individuals know where they stand and know where they need to make improvements, etc., or know where they're doing well. Mm-hmm. And I think kindness is, should never be confused with a weakness. Mm. And maybe it, it's interesting what you said about the it being seen as a kind of um, stereotypically maybe more of a female thing as a male thing and that but I think everyone should feel like they can be kind but I wonder if there's maybe a bit of a deficit in kindness or feeling comfortable that you can be vulnerable to be kind and be openly kind does that make sense yeah I I, I definitely think there's a there is a vulnerability in in it actually one of the things I really love about Spotify is that we call ourselves a band mm-hmm. and that as a band, we all need to sort of play in harmony together, essentially, to make the best possible sound, audio, record, podcast, music, whatever it might be. And that sort of notion then that what underpins the bands are lots of different skills and attributes. And then we have these sort of different values of the five key values of being playful, sincere, uh, collaborative. and But underpinning all of that, I think, is this um, understanding that you can try new things, be different, and maybe make some mistakes, and that's okay. That we're all going to sort of support each other, and that for me underpins this sort of culture of kindness, that it's okay to try and experiment and do things differently, but as long as we sort of follow our values and and, uh, sort of incorporate them into how we treat each other, then actually that creates this sort of environment of safety and and kindness. Mm -hmm. And and then everyone can be themselves fully, I think. And sometimes I have issues with that phrase of bring your full self to work, but it is a good thing to aspire to in general. And I do think that that maybe with Josh Krzyzewski's um, mental health kind of um, IPA mental wellness lab, that this is moving in the right direction and you need leaders across the industry to kind of wave that banner as Mm. you are doing. (laughs) I know Josh talks a lot about it's it's okay not to be okay. Mm -hmm. And part of, I think, you know, he talks about vulnerability is for leaders to step up and say, actually, when they're not feeling okay, they might be feeling overwhelmed or particularly challenged by a set of circumstances or the operating environment. I think they need to sort of role model some of those behaviours, essentially, to help create the right environment. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I think in talking about some of the, how it has been quite a difficult environment um, if we kind of move uh, shift the conversation to the earnings and and I think last year was quite a tough year for tech companies and and Spotify did have some layoffs before Christmas and so I think there were a lot of eyes on the earnings in Q4 I think it's fair to say that it came out um, a few weeks ago um, it reported better than expected growth in monthly active users and subscribers double digit growth for premium and ad supported revenue and it's on that last point that I'm Daniel Eck a few years ago said said that he wanted 20% of the business to come from advertising and Rak Patel uh, in the last interview with Omar um, Oaks, uh, our editor, said that that was feasible. I just wondered if 20% is still the goal the sales team is working towards and what's the plan for that going forward? Yeah, Uh, great question because it really gives me an opportunity to sort of underscore just how committed we are to that. So yes, absolutely, 20% is our plan. And I think if we were to sort of um, put out an ambition that we have, then we do want in the long term for the ad sales to reach 10 billion. You know, so a real sizable uh, revenue contribution to the overall business. And to sort of tackle the second part of the question, well, great, how? Then I think it's very much continuing on the sort of many of the ingredients and initiatives that we have in place. So 
Spotify, of course, is a great environment for brands. You know, we think we have a unique environment and what brands can benefit from being within. And we have a great range of advertising solutions that go right across the marketing funnel that can help the uh, advertisers and brands reach their target audience and provide a pretty clear return on investment. And beneath that, then, we're continuing to innovate. Uh, we obviously have a whole bunch of new products last year. Some of them have been covered on the Media Leader, like, say, uh, Spotify Audience Network, which mm-hmm. helps podcast advertisers extend their reach um, into new categories and to new content. Or it could be around first-party measurement with Spotify Ad Analytics that, again, helps advertisers understand what and how their investment is working on Spotify. So I think we are very much focused on that 20% and then that really bigger aspirational goal of getting to 10 billion. Mm-hmm. That is a, yeah, it's a big aspirational goal. Is there like a time frame or is that just kind of a, is that a, an open-ended kind of target at the moment? I think I'd be crazy to say by when. <laughs> <laughs> but it is absolutely an aspiration. It's an aspiration in the long term, of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. And I think on the... I mean, the ad-supported revenue, I should say, did hit an all-time high in the in the quarter, uh, and so that that was definitely noteworthy. And obviously, Spotify's got you know music, but it's got podcasts and now audiobooks. And on the podcast side, Joe Rogan's just resigned with you guys as a, his deal um, for the Joe Rogan experience. But that now means that his podcast is available on other platforms, a bit like Call Her Daddy and and the. Um, what now with Trevor Noah, which I love as, um, yeah. So uh, I was just wondering, now they're not exclusive to Spotify. Is, what's the, can you talk me through a bit of that strategy of what what's, what's going to change? What mm. does this mean? Yeah, really interesting point, actually, because firstly, actually, Joe Rogan remains the global number one podcast, which has been for some years. And we've seen great success with that on Spotify, growing the revenues substantially. I think it's 80% over 21 to 2023 and in 2023 alone i think the revenue growth for that show is about 45 percent. so it's been hugely successful for us and really does help sort of set the i think it's fair to say the global conversation and popular culture in many ways and advertisers have really liked being associated with that show um what's interesting for me though when sort of distributed across other platforms is how we can sort of grow the reach and potential both for joe and his sort of community of fans as well as for advertisers essentially and as you said, it's not really a new strategy in some ways. We have done that across a, a range of other shows as well, which you mentioned. And I think this really just reflects our sort of continuation of experimenting with different distribution models that we kind of do on a sort of case-by-case basis, essentially. But we continue to sort of experiment about how to grow the sort of reach and impact of those shows, as well as the sort of reach and impact of advertisers as well. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's kind of that monetization. I think Daniel Ack was saying that the twenty twenty four will be the year of monetization, and so that maybe this this kind of feeds into that. And it's a kind of experimentation, seeing what works with. It might work with some podcasts, but not others. Yeah, mm. I, I think you're right to draw that conclusion. Hence, why we're sort of trialing, experimenting, testing, and learning. But it's definitely not a kind of one size fits all, and we're just going to do each one a case by case, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think. Um, Call Her Daddy is the most popular podcast by a female podcaster, I should I should mention. And I think that we'll see what happens, I guess. I don't know what the kind of KPIs might be of, but I suppose it is, um, as you mentioned, down to reach and, and that sort of thing. And I mentioned audiobooks as well. I don't know if you're a big audiobook fan, Ed. 
Well, it gives me an opportunity to just highlight how premium subscribers in the UK, the US and Australia mm -hmm. can benefit from mm -hmm. Spotify's new audiobook product, mm -hmm. where you obviously have a set, well, not obviously, sorry, because some of the listeners might be familiar, but basically you have a set amount of uh, hours that you can dip in and out of books on. And I think this was such a sort of right business model to really disrupt from a Spotify perspective that there are other audiobook providers out there where you sort of have a credit system and one credit is one book where we have sort of time slots essentially and as a avid listener then you can sort of dip in and out of books so you can have a read one sorry listen to one chapter or the whole book and that allows you to sort of experiment and sort of dip into a lot of books and if you don't like them great and you can just move to the next mm -hmm. and you haven't wasted a credit um, yeah. on on a book for one month and then then you're sort of stuck with it exactly uh, that has burned me before um but so now uh, in the latest earnings uh, spotify is now the number two audiobook provider behind amazon is the goal to ever catch up is amazon too big to catch up to or is are you doing different things do you know what one thing i think we are doing which i understand to be really uh, well received by publishers is that we're growing the entire audiobook market so if we looked at some Q4 data, then we believe that actually the overall audio listening market for audiobooks grew by 28%. So it feels that we're grow more people are listening to audiobooks and rather than just switching between providers, essentially. And I think that's got to be a good thing for publishers and for authors and content creators overall. Mm -hmm. Which ties back into what Spotify talks about, about like the creators and the listeners and, and that kind of loop yeah this yeah. sort of virtual cycle that brings like generates revenue and income for content creators allows them to live off their talents and connects fans to that and it just feels like this beautiful sort of virtual circle mm -hmm. and i was wondering if you thought there was any advertising potential with audiobooks like if it's sort of a, i was trying to think about this is it like a before the book starts or like in between chapters or what what you might think as as how you might sell that uh, i don't believe we have any official plans mm -hmm. but if I had my dreams come yeah. true and yes. I had five minutes with Daniel in the lift and I could capture his attention and say, hey, I've got a great idea for advertisers and audiobooks. I do think there's that wonderful moment when you're kind of sitting in your armchair or you're sitting down to listen and I think you have a really captive, attentive audience. So just as you sort of go into you know, the chapter one, I think mm -hmm. that'd be really a great opportunity for advertisers, but I have to uh, mm -hmm. underline that's my own personal mm -hmm. uh, dream of an advertising slot yeah. rather than anything official. Yes, a hypothetical situation, I think. Uh, yeah, it was a very lean-in uh, format, I think. I think, sure. I think it's just that key moment just before Chapter 1 starts, essentially, where you're absolutely 100% paying attention to that. There's no distractions whatsoever. I think that would be a really great advertising moment. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I uh, hope Daniel likes listening. <laughs> um, I also wrote a story recently. I know there's been some news uh, coming out of um, uh, Europe about the uh, Apple and its kind of the Digital Markets Act and the those kind of changes that are going to affect how Apple can take uh, a sort of tax in in a sense of in app purchases and and kind of prevent prom in-app promotions um and spotify's done a campaign about this um to try and bring in or encourage a uk version of this uh they went out on outdoor and, and email and it was a quite clever with the censored campaign you don't often see this kind of thing um happen and so yeah ed i just wondered if you could walk me through why spotify what its problem was with with what was happening 
um, and then what it would like to see happen. Sure. Mm. So maybe there's some listeners that didn't see the out-of-home ads. It was super impactful, but ran in some really high-profile spots like Leicester Square, Mm -hmm. or I think it was also uh, bus shelters across Westminster in London. But essentially the campaign was entitled the uh, Censored Campaign. And as you alluded to, it's a really smart piece of creative because actually the copywriting was actually redacted so you couldn't kind of see and we use that to really articulate how if the apple really are preventing users from seeing better price offers essentially how they might be able to save money or have other discounts on the service they're using and this is all because of how the app store works mm-hmm. and we're really lobbying hard that actually to be able to provide some additional transparency where users can understand that actually they could have a lower price for the apps or services that they're using. And the example we had obviously was Spotify's three-month free trial for premium and how trying to demonstrate actually the user can actually save money, but Apple's preventing us because of the levy they place on their mm-hmm. um, app developers that if you have to use their official payment channel essentially and we think that lacks transparency and we really want to give consumers the opportunity to make their own choices essentially and be able to take benefit from this reduced pricing Mm -hmm. so in an ideal world um you know you spotify or an app like spotify would be able to have those kind of promotions saying oh actually you could save money you could try three months for free on premium and then also there wouldn't be necessarily that kind of the as big a cut of from in-app purchases. I think at the moment it stands at about 27%, yeah. which seems like about a third. That's quite a lot. Yeah, because actually I think that's stifling the app developer community. Apple are really uh, constraining innovation. And because they're forcing app developers to use their own Apple's exclusive payment methods and taking a percentage that really is stopping revenue going back into the ecosystem for more innovation and development, actually. So we're lobbying really hard for the Digital Markets Competition Consumer Act, DMCC. Yeah, that is a mouthful. Yeah. It is. <laughs> so we're lobbying hard for the DMCC to build a really strong bill, essentially, that will help give app developers more choice and control about how and when they show price promotions. And we think that's good news for consumers. Mm-hmm. And is there anything in there for like the um, the Apple tax, as it were? Like the if it was, is 27% too much, then what would be a better amount? Or is it purely just on the communication side of things? We want to give consumers choice. And we think giving them information to be able to make those choices themselves is the right way to go rather than a specific percentage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... I think I think it was interesting to, to 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 email all of the Apple iOS users of Spotify with that kind of redacted message as well. So it was kind of an email campaign and an outdoor campaign combined. Um, and I'm guessing as the DMCC bill goes on, there will be more campaigns or the additional activity on this. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, the censor campaign is part of a broader piece of work we've been doing around time to play fair that really tries to highlight all of the anti-competitive practices that we're seeing Apple are uh, using via their app store actually so it's part of a bigger picture oh okay so the time to play fair is like the umbrella of the whole the whole thing exactly nice I think yeah the last time we spoke we were talking about AI DJ Mm. and uh, country music I think came up what are you listening to to at the moment (laughs) no I'm not (laughs) Uh, what are you listening to at the moment oh this is such an awkward question (laughs) (laughs) I have really got into, and I think I might have shared this before, 
a, a jazz singer called Stacey Kent, mm-hmm. who I full confession that I'm not normally into lounge jazz at all, but actually was mentioned on the Rest is Politics podcast mm-hmm. by uh, Alistair Campbell, who's a huge fan, and he was kind of describing her voice of an angel. So I then obviously discovered it on Spotify and just really fell in love with that music. I love having it on in the background as I'm working or relaxing or doing some chores around the house. So I guess the answer of the genre I'll be listening to is lounge jazz and the artist is Stacey Kent. But I would encourage everyone not to judge and to go and listen. (laughs) Be kind, kindness, guys. (laughs) I think it does sound great. I'm going to check it out when I I go home. And uh, our last question on the podcast is always the same uh is uh why are you passionate about media as the media leader we are passionate about it we would love to know why everyone else is um i love this question um so ultimately i think media is around inspiring informing and empowering individuals and i think media at its very best of we talked about creating great work for clients but at its very best really can help individuals, can help communities, but essentially make the world a better place. And working in an industry that can help make the world a better place, I think is pretty enriching. And we started with talking about my career and how I think wonderful the media industry is. And I think that's what sort of gets me out of bed each morning, think, okay, I can contribute and we can make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really good place to end. Thanks so much for joining me, Ed. Cool. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Media Leader Podcast. This episode was edited by our production partners, Trisonic. You can find and listen to all our episodes on our website at themedialeader.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts. But just remember, please do subscribe to be notified when we release our next episode. From all of us at The Media Leader, I'm editor Omar Oaks. Our executive producer is Jack Benjamin. See you next time.